Well, we're going to go into our lesson study, and it's lesson number four. I can't believe that we are a, a, a third of the way through our studies already, and uh, talking about biblical missionaries, the Jonah saga, the Jonah saga. The memory text is Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version. It says, then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears Him and works righteousness is what? Accepted in Him, accepted in Him. And we'll be talking about this a little bit more as we move through our lesson. The story of Jonah, and I uh, would invite you to turn with me there. We're going to be spending our time there reviewing this story here this morning, the story of Jonah. And it's a little book tucked away in the Old Testament, and uh, if you just flip through and you pass Obadiah and just before Nahum, you're going to come to the little book of Jonah. And so join me there. You probably uh, know and are familiar with uh, the fact that Jonah, the story of Jonah, gets some flack, uh, some, uh, gets, gets a hard time from time to time uh, because, of the, uh, because of the story of Jonah being swallowed by a fish. And so a lot of people and even some Christians uh, view the story of Jonah as an allegory or a fable, uh, designed just simply to teach some spiritual lessons. And, um, and uh, when we talk about Jonah, some people view Jonah, or uh, when they think of a jinx, they think of Jonah. Someone who uh, is a jinx is a Jonah, and these things are kind of commonly associated with the story of Jonah. But the story of Jonah is a factual, historical story. Um, there's no doubt about that. As a matter of fact, it reminds me of a little story that I read about a lady who was on a bus traveling and she was reading her Bible and there was a gentleman who was, who'd parked himself next to her and he noticed that she was reading the Bible and he was not a believer in God or the Bible and he challenged her, uh, her belief in the Bible. Can you really be sure that you can trust the Bible? Well, what do you mean? She said. Well, can you really be sure that God made the earth in six days and rest of the seventh? Literal, 24-hour, consecutive days, six days. Did He make the world in... Well, yes, without even looking up, she said, yes, I believe that. And uh, she said, well, are you sure you can believe the... He said, can, are you sure you can believe the Bible? Can you believe that God really saved Noah and his family in an ark and that the whole world was filled with water? And without missing a beat, she said, yes, I, uh, I believe the, the Bible to be true. And then he said, well, I don't know how you can believe the Bible, especially that story about Jonah. And she said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, it's not possible. He said, it's not possible that a person can be swallowed by a great fish or a whale. And she, uh, without looking up, said, well, I, I believe the story and I don't fully understand it, but I guess I'll ask Jonah when I get to heaven. And he said, well, what happens if there is no heaven? And then she said, I guess you'll have to ask him yourself. <laughs> the story of Jonah is a factual historical story. If we're going to allegorize the story of Jonah, what are we going to do with Jesus? Because Jesus referred to the story of Jonah in Matthew chapter 12, and we'll get to that uh, little uh, incident here before too long. Uh, Jesus considered the story of Jonah to be an actual historical event, a story that actually took place. And if we're going to question the story of Jonah, then guess what we're going to have to do? We're going to start questioning Jesus. And if we're starting to question Jesus, we have to question His Messiahship and, that whether, and ask the question whether He is truly the Son of God or not. Uh, I'd like to think that Jesus 
was telling the truth. I'd like to think that Jesus saw this, saw the story as historical and factual, and I believe we can see it the same way as well. The story of Jonah occurs around the middle to the late 8th century during a very uh, difficult period of Israelite history. Uh, the king, uh, the kings that sat on the thrones of Israel, the throne of Israel, according to the Bible, all did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the nas- and national judgment was fast approaching uh, Israel. Although God brought blessings to Israel in the hope that it would induce His people to turn back to Him, uh, then King Jeroboam II, uh, the Bible says, did evil in the sight of the Lord, as did his successors. So, it wasn't good. It wasn't a pretty situation for the nation of Israel. Assyria was the ruling nation at that time. It was the dominant nation of the time, bringing the surrounding nations uh, under her rule. Uh, The capital of Assyria was the city of Nineveh the city of Nineveh, and this is, this, this is the city of Nineveh is uh, associated with uh, the story of Jonah. So, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, and it was founded by Nimrod, and you can read the story back there in Genesis chapter 10 and verse 11. And it was founded by him on the fertile banks of the Tigris River, soon after the, the dispersion uh, of the Tower of Babel. Over the centuries, it flourished until, according to Jonah, it became an exceeding city of three days journey. And that's not to suggest that it would take three full days to walk one length to the other, it's just uh, Jonah's way of saying that it was a mammoth city and it took him three days to get around and preach, you see. We're told that the total length of the ancient walls uh, were about seven and a half miles. And uh, it's easy to to measure them because uh, they are are still there uh, to be seen today. Now, the area of the walled city, which is roughly triangular in shape, is about 1,640 acres. By allowing about 50 square yards per person in Nineveh, the ancient population inside the walls may be estimated at about 160,000 people. And uh, you can be sure that there were more people living on the outside of those walls. It was in this city, or this city, that Jonah the only prophet called to go to another country to share the message of God was called to go to. So, the question that we'll be answering here today is, does God care, does God desire all people to have a knowledge of Himself? Was the gospel just for Israel at that particular time or for all people in that region? The story of Jonah will highlight and highlights the need for missionaries and it outlines one man's response to the call of God to go on a mission for Him. And so, we pick up the story and the lesson on, on Sunday's lesson, and we'll look at the flawed prophet here, uh, Jonah, the flawed prophet. Turn with me, if you've got your finger in Jonah, go back to 2 Kings chapter 14, because we actually first read about Jonah in the second book of Kings, in chapter 14 and verse 25. 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. Now, when we think of Jonah, what do we think about? We think about a prophet who did what? What did he do? What is Jonah known for, apart from being swallowed by a fish? What was the reason he was swallowed by the big fish? He ran in the opposite direction uh, from the direction God had called him to go. As a matter of fact, Nineveh was northeast and Tarshish was west. So, he ran in the exact opposite direction. We know Jonah as someone who was fearful, afraid, discouraged, who didn't answer the call of God initially. 
That's synonymous with Jonah. Look at 2 Kings 14, verse 25. Notice what it says. He restored the territory of Israel. This is Jeroboam, uh, Jeroboam II. He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of Araba, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant who? Jonah. Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was with or who was from Gath Hefer. So we think of Jonah as the runaway prophet, and truly he, he did repent and turn around and went on the mission that God had originally called him to. But our first introduction to Jonah is actually an introduction of uh, affirmation, of commendation. According to what we just read, what impression does this leave you about Jonah? He prophesied something that God had asked him to tell the people of Israel, and what happened? It came to pass just like Jonah had prophesied, you see. So, Jonah, we see it, the, the first picture we see of Jonah is a faithful messenger or voice for God. That's the first picture we get of Jonah here in the Scriptures. We see that Jonah, uh, in these verses, we see that Jonah had a wider mission than what we see in the book of Jonah, just to Nineveh. He had a much wider mission. Uh, he was from a place in the borders of Zebulun, about two and three-quarter miles uh, north by east of Nazareth, where Jesus grew up, and uh, apparently there's uh, an alleged tomb of Jonah that's still exhibited there. They say that jo Jonah is buried in that area. So, this makes Jesus and Jonah Galilean prophets separated by about 750 years. They were both Galilean prophets. Jonah in this verse, is honoured as a prophet who predicted Israel's recapture of territory that was originally taken by Syria. And so, he's commended and he's put in a favourable light for delivering a message and God, uh, God brought that promise about for His people. And uh, so, what we learn about Jonah here is that he faithfully discharged his duty. That's what we learn about Jonah here. Jonah means dove, that's what Jonah means, dove. And his father's name was Amittai, which means faithfulness. Jonah was a prophet of God. And so, one could expect that a faithful dove would be obedient to the call of God, but instead, when we read the story of Jonah, when we get to his book, we see Jonah, quote-unquote, flying in the opposite direction, going in the different direction than God has called him. Let's go over to Jonah now, let's pick up the story. Jonah chapter 1, and we'll read a few verses here together. Jonah 1, and we'll read verses 1 through 3, then we're going to jump over to chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4, just to read a couple of verses. Um, and I want to ask the question, what do these verses tell us about Jonah's relation to the call to go to Nineveh? What do these verses that we're going to read here tell us about Jonah in relation to his call to go to Nineveh? Look at Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Okay, let's jump over to chapter 2, verse 7. Now, Jonah is in the belly of this great big fish, and he's praying to God. In verse 7, he says, When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. All right, we're just pulling some pieces together. Jump over to chapter 3. We'll read verses 1 through 5. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. 
Now, this is after the fish had essentially vomited Jonah up onto the, onto the land. And uh, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceeding great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. And then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the, great, the greatest to the least of them. So Jonah ended up doing what? He ended up going on God's mission. And how did the people respond? Favorably, didn't they? Very favorably. Okay, chapter 4 and verse 1. But it dis displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. All right. Now, we're not reading it all in context here, but uh, just from these few verses, uh, what do these verses tell us about Jonah's relation to his call to go to Nineveh? The, the author of the lesson says, Jonah emerges from his book as a strange mixture of strength and weakness. He says he is self-willed and he's rebellious, but he's teachable and he's obedient. He was loyal to God, courageous, a believer in prayer, and yet... At time, he was narrow-minded, selfish, and vindictive. Jonah and others' initial run from responsibility and God's grace toward him provide incredible amount of encouragement to you and to me. It should, at least, shouldn't it? He was a man chosen by God, and what did he do? He ran. He said, you know what, I'm not sure you're going to be able to use me. I'm not sure that the message that you want me to bring is going to make any difference, make an effect. And... Um, so, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm going to run in the opposite direction. When we read about Jonah, we see a man who was as human as the next person. And you can't blame him for not wanting to go to Nineveh. We'll talk about how wicked Nineveh was in just a little bit. But you can't really blame him for not wanting to go to Nineveh. And so he didn't go. And yet he uh, had, a, had a, an epiphany in the belly of a great big fish. You think that would get your attention? If you're swallowed by uh, a, a pretty big fish... Get, you, get my attention, and in the depths of the bowels, the stomach of that fish, he, uh, he prayed, and he repented, and then he went courageously, and then he had a problem, <laughs> and he was angry because God had done what he, uh, what he probably expected, Jonah expected God would do from the very beginning, and that is not punished Nineveh at all. And so Nineveh, when we, look at, when we look at Jonah rather, we see a man who is subject to like passions as we are, subject to humanity, the flaws, the challenges, the struggles that humanity has. Jonah's initial run from responsibility and God's grace toward him should provide encouragement to all of us who not only sense our insecurities, but who also uh, have acted upon our insecurities. God is patient, but will sometimes use extreme measures to get our attention. You know, humanity's head, our head's pretty hard, right? Our heads are not like uh, peanut shells, they're like coconuts. Uh, God has to pry it open and get in there and, 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 and work in us a little bit to get our attention. Uh, sometimes people read the story of, uh, of the stories in the Bible and, and they ask, why does God use extreme measures? Because it takes a lot to get through to our thick skulls, our thick heads, doesn't it? Surely, it does. You look at the children of Israel, for example, all the wonderful miracles God had performed, and we, we, we stand here in judgment on them, that the parting of the Red Sea, and then they complain about no food and no water, and then God rains manna out of heaven, and then he, Moses strikes a rock and water gushes out from nowhere. 
And they complained and they whinged and we, we cast judgment on them, but we're no better off. God has done wonderful things in our lives and how soon we are to forget. We're soon to forget. And it takes a lot of time to get through these thick heads of ours. Well, at least some of us have thick heads. What makes, what makes any one of us crumble when we're faced with pressure or what appears to be an overwhelming task? What is it that leads us, even a Christian, someone who's following God, to crumble under pressure or with what appears to be an overwhelming task? There are three things I'd like to share with you. Someone has Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. That's the third answer. I'm going to come to you in just a moment. Who's got Ephesians 6? Okay, Daniela, thank you. We'll come to you in just a moment. What makes us crumble when we're faced with pressure or what appears to be an overwhelming task? Firstly, number one, failure to pray. Failure to pray. Um, when you read the story in Mark chapter 14, Jesus enters the Garden of Gethsemane. He tells his disciples, wait here, I'm going on to pray. And he tells them to do what? To watch and pray. He tells them to watch and to pray. So Jesus is over there struggling. The, the weight of the sins of the world are crushing upon him. He's sweating great drops of blood. And he comes back and he finds his disciples what? Finds them snoozing and sleeping. And he tells them in Mark chapter 14, verse 38, that you need to watch and to pray because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so oftentimes we find ourselves crumbling in the face of difficulty, pressure, and ad adverse circumstances because we have neglected or failed to pray. We've failed to pray. When we fail to pray, it becomes easier to quit. Number two, failure to prepare. Failure to prepare. We read the story of Daniel. Daniel's brought uh, from his hometown and he's placed in the king's court and given the king's food. And Daniel says, you know what? Let me, give this a, let me give this a moment. Let me think about whether I should eat the king's food and drink. Did he do that? The Bible says in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat and drink. What did Daniel do? He prepared. He prepared ahead of time. He made choices ahead of time. And we, when we fail to prepare, it becomes easier for us to acquiesce, to give up to give in under pressure. And then number three, failure to persevere. Uh, Daniela, could you read uh, Ephesians 6, 10, and 11, please? Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Wonderful. So we often acquiesce, we often fold when uh, pressure comes or when we're given a very, what appears to be an overwhelming task because we failed to pray, we failed to prepare, and according to the verse that Daniela just read, we failed to persevere, keeping the whole armor of God on and fighting the good fight of faith, right? Not giving up. When we fail to persevere, it then becomes easier to, to relinquish, easier to give up. And so God is calling us. What's He calling us to do? He's calling us to not shirk our responsibility or to run from our calling. He's calling us to take a stand. He's calling us to dig in our spiritual heels. And He's calling us to press toward the prize of the high calling of Christ Jesus, as Paul did, pressing toward that prize. That's what God's asking us to do. And uh, there's, pressure, there's pressure aplenty in this world, isn't there? There's pressure for you to acquiesce and to give up your, your beliefs and your faith. Pressure all around. Then we have what appears to be the overwhelming task of sharing the gospel with the entire world, not just taking the gospel to a nation, but also making sure people in their native tongue and language understand that message. It's an, it seems to be an overwhelming task. 
And uh, when we think about it, maybe our own neighborhood or the people we work with, and we say, you know what, there's no hope here. Don't fail to pray. Don't fail to prepare. And don't fail to persevere. And if you, if you don't fail to do those things, God will use you and bless you to bring a message of hope and encouragement and maybe sometimes even warning to somebody to get their attention, pointing, pointing them to Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. So Jesus wants us to persevere and to keep moving forward. Amen? Surely. Let's go to Monday's lesson. Let's talk about Jonah as an early missionary. Let's look at Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 again. The Bible says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So God tells Nineveh to do what? Go. He says, Go to Nineveh. Would you have gone? Would you have gone? A few years before Jonah's call, Assyria, and remember, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, Assyria had brutally attacked and conquered Israel, his home nation, an event that was still very alive in the memory of the Israelites. We could put it in today's context, couldn't we? We think about uh, extremists and extremism. We think of ISIS and uh, jihadists and... Um, and so the question would be for us, perhaps, if we saw our own countrymen slain and injured and hurt, in this context, would we be willing to go to that people group and take the message that God wants us to bring to them? Would we be willing or would we say, leave them to themselves and get all political and say, let's, let's bomb the daylights out of them? Hang on a second. Is that the Christian thing to do? Oftentimes, we, we confuse politics with Christianity, don't we? We mix all, the, all two together. God saw Nineveh. God saw Assyria. He saw what they did to His people, and He goes to Jonah, and He says, Jonah, go. Take them a message. Would you go? According to Nahum, Nineveh, according to Nahum, chapter 3, verse 1, Nineveh was the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without a victim. I mean, it was continual, ceaseless, ongoing crime and bloodshed. And in verse 19, he asks, who has not felt your endless cruelty? It's a rhetorical question. So that was Assyria, bloodthirsty, angry, domineering. Is it likely Assyria, it is very likely Assyria had perfected the art of genocide and also of torture. And perhaps it wasn't the ideal place for a, an evangelist to hold an evangelistic meeting, right? How well do we do with Jesus command found in Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 to 20. What does Jesus say? Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I love what Jesus said before He tells us to go. He reminds us that all power is given to Him. So He says, go, I'll be with you, I'll empower you through the Holy Spirit, you see, so go. So how well do we do? Jonah, we look at Jonah's story and we say, come on, Jonah, Come on, why didn't you just go? Look at all the trouble you found yourself in. And we step back then, we consider his story, and we say, wow, look at where he was going. Can't blame him for not wanting to go. Look at the horrible crimes that they perpetrated on his own countrymen. Uh, maybe I wouldn't want to go either. Maybe I'd want to hold a grudge and say, leave him to themselves, leave him to the dogs. How well do we do with Jesus' command to go preach the gospel, even to people that don't like us and that sometimes we don't like ourselves? How well do we do? Do we find ourselves making excuses like Jonah? What caused Jonah? What caused Jonah to run from the call of God? What was it? Well, there's several things. There was fear, wasn't there? There would have been discouragement, right? 
Sure, when fear sets in, people can be very quickly overwhelmed by discouragement. There was also, commentators suggest that there could have very well been a cultural superiority and a religious prejudice against the people of Assyria and Nineveh. Because back in, the, in, in even in those times, Israel was feeling somewhat elite, somewhat better, because after all, they had been given the oracles of God. Doesn't that make them better? Doesn't it make them a better people than the Assyrians, those pagans, those people who put people to death and sacrifice their own children to their own gods? Surely that makes us better than them. And so they suggest that there was a cultural superiority and a religious prejudice. Someone quipped, once quipped, you can safely assume or assume you've created God into your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people that you do. Good point. Now, it's interesting that with inherent within the command for Jonah to go to Nineveh, we see a God who loves people and who's not willing to see any perish. And this is the message of the book of Jonah. Uh, in Psalm 33, verse 13, the Bible says, the Lord looks from heaven, He sees all the sons of men. God is searching and He's looking, looking for individuals who might respond to His salvation and His grace, you see. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal or perfect to Him. So God is searching, God is looking, and God looked down from His great throne in eternity, and He looked down into Nineveh, and He saw their potential, He saw their hope, that if He sent somebody in there with a message of warning, stern warning, by the way, folk would, would turn to Him and give their hearts to Him. In Job chapter 28, verse 10, here's the verse we were going to come to earlier, but it says, He cuts out channels in the rocks, and His eyes see every precious thing. Do you think, do you think God saw something precious in the people of Nineveh? Yeah. Certainly He did. That's why He sent Jonah. That's why He sent him, you see. And so He sent Jonah down. Now, in Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 17, we read that Jonah runs from God's call. We understand the story. And yet God sends a storm to wake the sleeping prophet up. The crew prays for deliverance to their gods. And then we know that Jonah eventually confesses that he's the one that caused that particular calamity. And interestingly, in that moment, he's witnessing about the Creator God, the true Creator God, to the extent, when you read the story, the crew end up end up turning their worship to the worship of the, the Creator God, the true God of heaven. It's an amazing thing. God can even take a rebellious, situ a rebellious child of His, and this is no justification for rebelling, but He can take someone's adverse reaction to God's call on their life, and He can still turn it into something good. It's amazing. Again, that's no justification for us to excuse uh, our disobedience or a rebellious spirit or doing something contrary to what we know God has called us to. Oh, God will just turn it into something good anyway. No, no, no. But God, in His great providence and the way He works things out, he's, He was able to, through this fearful, timid, afraid, rebellious, runaway prophet, still, through Him, be able to witness to these men on that ship going to Tarshish. And as a result of His witness, and I, you know, it's an interesting thing, it wasn't a great witness, was it? He was down there sleeping, kind of hiding out, and then, of course, it, you know, it just got too much. And He came up and He told them, look, you know what, just throw me overboard. No, I don't think we should do that. No, you should throw me overboard. And then he tells them why. And they're impressed, especially when they see that the storm and the waves and the wind are calmed. 
You know, Jesus and Jonah have a lot in common in some respects. Was Jesus asleep in a boat? Was he, but he wasn't asleep because of indifference or because he was running away, was he? He was resting in the care of God. And then Jesus got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves. And what happened? The, the, the storm was calmed. Jonah was cast overboard, a little different. But this, the, this wind and the storm and the waves became calm. And the disciples, they were impressed, impressed with what happened when Jesus, they said, man, even the wind and the waves obey him. They listened to his voice. When Jonah was cast over, overboard, the winds and the waves stopped and the folk on that ship were very impressed with the God of heaven. There's some similarities between the story of Jesus and Jonah, isn't there? Certainly. So they reluctantly throw him overboard and uh, God does not only, not only preserves the ship with the individuals in it, but he also preserves the prophet through a large fish. We don't know what type of fish it was. Some people say, you know, we're told about the story of Jonah and the what? The whale. But it's not likely it was a whale. It was a big fish that took Jonah in. And uh, God saves Jonah, and he saves Jonah with the intent to save Nineveh. I want you to notice that, the, the lengths that God is going to to rescue Nineveh. He could have said, okay, Jonah, if you want to be that way, that's fine. Be your own man, do your own thing, we'll see you later. I'll go, I'll go choose someone else who's willing. Instead, he reaches out, he perseveres with Jonah, seeking to bring him back. Why? There's really two reasons why. He's seeking to save Jonah, and he's also seeking to save Nineveh, the length that God goes to to save Nineveh. Your life and my life is often preserved because God has a greater purpose in mind. We don't always know what that purpose is, and it won't be until we actually reach the heavenly shore that God will reveal to us why He led us here, why He allowed this to, go, to happen, why we encountered these individuals, why He did what He did in our lives, why we, why we, and the questions we had will all be answered. And He will reveal to us that I had you here, I had you there, I had you say this, I had you do that, because I was seeking to save these individuals. I know it was a little discomforting, I know it was a little challenging and trying to, for you at, the, at times, but you were my witness, you were my man, you were my woman. And I was trying to reach those individuals through you. God has a great purpose and a great plan for each one of us. And our lives are often preserved for that great purpose. I'm interested in knowing and seeing whether, in some cases, where my life may have been preserved in an instance I may not have even known or been aware of. Where angels of God stepped in and, and, and rescued and redeemed where I, you know, where I was oblivious. Maybe some of you had some close calls in your life and you, you know the angels of God were right there protecting you. He, preser he preserves our lives for a greater purpose to point men and women to, and boys and girls to, our, to the Savior of all saviors, Jesus Christ. He is King of kings and He's Lord of lords. So J Jonah was an early missionary. Let's talk about his experience in the belly of this great fish. Let's go over to Tuesday's lesson. Jonah chapter 1 and verse 17. The Bible says... Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Someone has Jonah chapter 2 verses nine, 2 through 9. Jonah chapter 2 verses 2 through 9. Okay, thanks Richard. We'll come to you in just a moment. You know, it, do you think it, would, it felt like forever in the belly of the great big fish? Yeah, it would have felt like forever. As a matter of fact, in Jonah chapter 2 and verse 6, Jonah said he was down there forever. I mean, for him, it felt like it was forever being in the belly of this great fish that the Lord had prepared for Jonah. As unbelievable as the story seems, the story is a true account of facts. After all, there are stories of individuals uh, who have survived being out in sea that have been swallowed by a whale. 
There are several stories on record of people whose lives were preserved because they found themselves in the belly of a great big whale, a fish. Now also, the Bible says, God prepared the fish for Jonah. The story reveals again the lengths God will go to to intervene in a person's life to save them. Let's talk about his prayer down there because obviously down there, you know, when you're on your, on your back, you have no, no chance, no opportunity but to look anywhere else but up, right? God doesn't mind us being on our back, so we look up and we call, call to him. And so Jonah calls to God. And, uh, and uh, Richard, if you could read Jonah 2, two verse, chapter 2, verses 2 through 9. I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and you heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, in the middle of the sea, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me around about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet have you brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came into, in unto thee, into your holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Richard. You can know, you and I can know without a shadow of a doubt, that when we call God, and if we're in the middle of distress or trying or difficult time, that God will hear your prayer. The Bible says that he heard, God heard him, his prayer entered into the very place where God dwelt. Now, I don't know and understand how all that works out behind the scenes. God knows, but he hears the prayers and all the prayers that are sending even at, simultaneously, all at the same time. But you can know in moments of distress and discomfort and problem that your prayer is going to be heard. It's interesting that Jonah's prayer takes on a very similar flavor to the prayers of David in the Psalms. You have an introduction to the prayer. You have the uh, stating of the actual uh, description of that particular distress. You have the individual crying to God for help. Then you have the statement of God's action, what God did to deliver. And then you have the promise to keep any vows made. In other words, God, if you get me out of this mess, I promise I'm going to serve you all the days of my life, or I'm going to do this, this, and that. And how often we have probably prayed that same prayer. It's an interesting, interesting, uh, interesting to see the similarities between Jonah's prayer and the psalmist's prayer. Is there anything in this prayer, in this format of prayer, that you and I can learn from? Surely. Surely we can. Surely we can. God, if you, de if you deliver me, here's my problem, number one. I'm just going to state the facts. Here's my problem. Here's the issue. And God, I'm going to now claim your promises and I'm going to trust you. And we give a declaration eventually of God's deliverance out of that predic particular predicament. Or maybe God didn't deliver us from that particular predicament, but he gave us wisdom and grace and know-how to be able to navigate our way through that particular situation. And we praise him and we say, God, we're going to give you our, the, our vows of thanksgiving. What did Jonah say here? I'll sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And we, we, we rededicate our lives and our hearts to God. A good pattern to follow for prayer, is it not? Surely. We can know that God will hear our prayers. Well, 
I want to take you over to Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, because Jesus talked about Jonah. We mentioned that earlier on, but let's go take a look at where he did that. Jonah, Jonah no, we're not in Jonah, Matthew. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40. How does Jesus take the story of Jonah and apply it to himself? Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40. Now, there were some individuals that came to Jesus, some scribes, and they were looking for a sign from Jesus. And Jesus said, look there in verse 39, I'm not going to give you a sign except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And then he goes on to explain what he means. Verse 40, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Verse 41, and the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. And so scribes come, they tell Jesus, we want a sign, prove to us you're the Messiah. And Jesus said, you know what, this generation, you're not going to get one, but I'm going to give you one sign, and that's the sign of Jonah. And what was the sign? There were two things that he indicated here, two aspects of Jonah's ministry that parallel that of Christ. Jonah encountered, Jonah's encounter with a fish, being in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights, and that uh, Jesus was likening to the time that he would spend, he would die, be buried, and then he would rise again. He would be in the grave, you see. And secondly, Jonah's successful preaching to the people of Nineveh. Um, these were the signs. You're going to know that I'm the Messiah because I'm going to rise, I'm going to be raised from the dead. I'm going to rise again. You're going to see me die. You're going to be a part of that. I'm going to be buried. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. The other sign is that Jonah's preaching was successful. That's the other sign. Now, coming back to the evidence, the supreme evidence, this is the sign Jesus was referring to. The supreme evidence that Jesus was the Messiah was his resurrection from the dead. And Paul, writing about it, ex the experience uh, of conversion a person must undergo in order to receive eternal life, shows how Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection is the way to a changed life. Death to self, burial of the old life of sin, and renewal of life through the power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you see. And you can read that in Romans chapter 6, verse 11. And what affects this change, according to what Jesus said? What affects this change, this conversion? The preaching of the Word of God. It was the preaching of, known, of, of Jonah to Nineveh that caused Nineveh to what? Repent, to turn around, right? And so there's power in the preaching of God's Word. And uh, God's Word ought not be watered down. It ought to be just preached as it is, as it reads, with power, with clarity, and with the unction of the Holy Spirit. And when the Bible is shared in that manner, then people's lives are changed. Can't, don't have to coerce them, don't have to force them. God's Word will have an effect on people's lives. Amen? Amen. Uh, in the book, Desire of Ages, page 407, uh, Ellen White tells us the change in human hearts, the transformation of human characters, is a miracle that reveals an ever-loving, living Savior working to rescue souls. A consistent life in Christ is a great miracle. In the preaching of the Word of God, the sign that should be manifest now and always is the presence of the Holy Spirit to make the Word a regenerating power to those that hear. This is God's witness before the world to the divine mission of His Son. So when a person responds to the preaching of God's Word, that's another testimony that, Jesus, that God sent His Son into the world. That's the sign of Jonah. That's the sign of Jonah. Jesus would be raised. And at the preaching of the gospel, 
people's lives being changed would be another sign that truly God had sent His Son into the world. Well, we've got to run through Wednesday and Thursday relatively quick. Nineveh, God persisted in sending Jonah for two reasons. We're in Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 and 4, 1 through 4. We're told that the Word of the Lord came again the second time to Nineveh. God persisted in sending Jonah for two reasons, to save Jonah, number one, and to save the people of Nineveh, number two. God sends us on a mission, oftentimes to save us, to get us out of our complacency, to rescue us. And what was God's method in bringing salvation according to these verses? He, he sent Jonah versus people coming to Jonah. He sent Jonah, and secondly, through the proclamation of the Word of God versus theories or a modified version of the Word. And what is the message God usually sends to rescue people? It's a message of warning. That's often what God does to startle us, to get our attention. It's a message of warning, not a message that scratches our itchy ears. And He often sends a message coupled with warning, He sends a message of hope and a message of promise. Today, like in the time of Jonah, God desires all men, irrespective of religion, irrespective of race, irrespective of social status, irrespective of gender, irrespective of age, to be saved. That's what God wants today, uh, perhaps more than any other time. He wants all men to be saved. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 tells us, the grace of God brings salvation, that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Who's got Revelation 14, 6 and 7? Mike's got it right here. We're going to come to you here in just a quick moment. Titus chapter 2 tells us that the grace of God has appeared to all men, bringing what? Salvation. Do you think the grace of God was shared in the preaching of Jonah? Surely it was, right? Surely. We're told that it is the goodness of God that leads men and women, boys and girls, to repentance. Acts chapter 11, verse 18, we're told, when they heard these things, they became silent. This is Peter testifying about the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the Gentiles. And he's telling them what happened. He said, when they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. And so God wants the message going to everyone, everyone, doesn't matter what they look like, doesn't matter uh, even how they respond, He wants the message going to everyone. Revelation 14, 6 and 7. Thanks, Mike. Revelation 14, 6 and 7. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. Wonderful. So the message, the good news message, also contains a message of what? Judgment. Warning. We're living in the hour of God's judgment. It's time to get your life right with God. It's time to turn to Him. It's time to stop riding the fence. That's the message that comes to you and I, and it comes to the world. God's message is to startle us and to wake us up and to draw us to Him to be saved in the end. I want to read in closing uh, from Prophets and Kings, page 277. The time is at hand when there will be sorrow in the world that no human balm can heal. The Spirit of God is being withdrawn. Disasters by sea and by land follow one another in quick succession. How frequently we hear of earthquakes and tornadoes, of destruction by fire and flood, with great loss of life and property. Apparently, these calamities are capricious outbreaks of disorganized, unregulated forces of nature, wholly beyond the control of man. But in them all, God's purpose may be read. They are among the agencies by which He seeks to arouse men and women to a sense of their danger. 
God's messengers in the great cities are not to become discouraged over the wickedness, the injustice, the depravity which they are called upon to face while endeavoring to proclaim the glad tidings of salvation. The Lord would cheer every such worker with the same message that He gave to the Apostle Paul in wicked Corinth when He said in Acts chapter 18 verses 9 and 10, Be not afraid, but speak and hold not your peace, for I am with you, and no man shall set on you to hurt you, for I have much people in this city. Isn't that beautiful? There is much, much people in the city of Sacramento for God. There's much people in the city that, uh, that you're living in, that you're uh, viewing from here today. She goes on to close, let those engaged in soul-saving ministry remember that while there are many who will not heed the counsel of God and His Word, the whole world will not turn from light and truth, from the invitations of a patient, forbearing Savior. In every city, filled though it may be with violence and crime, there are many who with proper teaching may learn to become followers of Jesus. Thousands may be thus reached with saving truth and be led to receive Christ as a personal Savior. Isn't that beautiful? Take heart, take courage. The world around us might be falling apart, but God still has us on a mission. He has, us on, has a message that we need to share with every person on this planet, every person within Sacramento, every person within uh, your reach, wherever you are watching from here today. And may uh, God help us to not be like Jonah the first time, but be like Jonah the second time and go when God calls us on a mission. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.